Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode is brought to you by Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can say that I get a lot of value out of them. Merck Research is different from other research, which usually just cherry picks all positive or all negative charts and then falls into the trap of confirmation bias. Merck Research provides an intellectually consistent approach by going through a consistent set of relevant data and then putting it through a consistent set of frameworks, which is then summarized in a checklist and in a concise written summary. Their monthly economic and market data review provides an excellent overview of the macro landscape. It's all compiled in one place and easy to interpret chart books with written analysis. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer and get a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website merckresearch.com forward slash contrarian. That's Merck spelled M-E-R-K. Or you can log on to merckresearch.com, sign up for a regular subscription, and enter the code contrarian at checkout to take advantage of this free offer. Now on to today's episode. Chris Bellchamber, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast. You have a book. It's called Invest Like the Best. And this book has a number of very interesting synopsises or synopses. I'm not sure what the plural is there, but a bunch of interesting ideas. And uh, a lot of these caught my interest when I was reading through it. But the first one I wanted to uh, ask you about maybe even challenge you about a bit is the kind of subtitle here. It says the low risk road to high returns. Now you've been, you're not just an author, but you've worked in finance for a long, long time, 30 or 40 years, if I'm not mistaken. Now, is there really such a thing as high returns with low risk? Absolutely. Okay. Um, In fact, uh, it's according to the best investors, is it's the best way to get your high return. All right. Um, this smacks in the face of standard thinking. This right. whole idea is, oh, gosh, I want to return. Let's go get some risk because that's, that's how you get a return. Right. Nonsense. <laughs> Nonsense, say, the best investors with records of 30, 30 years. Um, now, so... I think the, there's an enormous confusion about uh, the issue of risk. Um, right. And 
um, <clears throat> I guess the, the secret of the best investors is they figured that out. And um, okay. not only do they make higher long-term returns, we're talking about long-term returns because in the short term, anything can happen. Um, sure. But if you want to reliably, with a very high probability, make exceptional returns over decades, you have to think about things differently. Okay. And you know, I think one of the, one of the highlights of the book um, is to compare, say, on the one hand, John Merriweather of long-term capital management, hmm. who had a fantastic return for three years and then wiped out, and compare him with Jim Simons and Stan Druckenmiller, on the other right. hand. Right. Who, for 30 years, I mean, Stan Druckenmiller, 30 years, compounded 30%. And how many right. down years did he have in 30 years? Zero. Hmm. So there is, what you need to do if you're hiring a manager is you need to know, um, am I with a Stan Druckenmiller? or a John Merriweather. Right. Because if you're just looking at return and seeing a lot of risk, um, that may not be what you want. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you need something else. What is that something else? How do people get around this? Other than having proprietary well, information. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there are, there are two major parts. If you want to talk about the math of risk and return, that's all about part two of the book. It's all about yeah. the math of risk okay. and return. And that spells out what the best investors do. Right. And, and really, it's so simple and so clear uh -huh. when you see it that, you know, it's, you know, why, why didn't anyone tell me this? Um, it's very simple. They, they look at risk absolutely first. And what they want to do is find high return relative to the risk and then manage that risk really well. Hmm. That's essentially what they do. Okay. And the whole chapter is a comparison between what the best investors do, which is that, and if you can write it out mathematically, it's very simple, and what most financial advisors do. Hmm. Most financial advisors have bought into the idea that, okay, the more risk we can take, the higher the return's going to be. So how much risk can you take? And then we'll, we'll allocate to risk and get mm -hmm. that high return. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple line of argumentation. It's just wrong. Mm. Um, Interesting. <laughs> huh. And, uh, you know, part two explains, explains how that, how that, is and how that works and you know i think there are there are um, you know a number of uh, elements to that but um chapter six explains why that is right. to, to a large extent and and that is that people just simply don't understand the dynamics of compound interest I mean, right. most people have in their mind this you know the same compound return every year and you get a hockey stick you know an exponential hockey stick and say yeah that's, that's what I want. In reality, not the same because your returns go up and down and, and when they go up and down, it's a very different matter because when you lose money, you lose your compound, your compounding. Interesting. And you dig yourself in a hole and you lose the time and the return. Okay. So as, as, a, as a, a rule of thumb, 
uh, in the book. It's, it's one of my, I have 24 best investor insights throughout the first two parts. And as a rule of thumb, and a loss, an annual loss, uh, hurts you uh, twice as much as an annual gain. So right. if, if you, if for example, uh, you lose 20% in one year, you have a bad year, lose 20%, you're going to have to make 35% next year to get it back. Right. Almost double. Hmm. And it's just, that's, just, that's assuming that you're, all you're trying to do is compound at 4%. If you're trying to compound it more, you know, it, it, there, are, there are a number of variables in there. But assuming you're just trying to compound at 4%, that's that's the dynamics and you know if you've just lost 20 percent do you really want to roll the dice with the same guy and see if he can make 35 next year uh you know that's in in reality probably you're never going to get back that that, right. that loss right well that's for allocating to funds and allocating to managers but how about people who are picking stocks which seems to be everybody these days even if they're picking the same stocks uh, what is the a good mindset to develop there? Maybe can we talk about that? It's really the same. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know what, what I'm what I've been talking about is is for macro, but it's, mm -hmm. it applies simply to equities too. And I have a, a lot of charts um, just about uh, equity. I mean, in chapter nine, I don't talk about asset selection uh, at all, other than. We're going to use the billionaires' positions because they're publicly available. We know when they bought. We know how you know how much they bought. We know when they sold. So if if you use this system, which is all laid out, you can take the exact same positions the billionaires took for twenty years, and you can buy them at the same time and sell them at the same time. But if you use a different set of money management approach than the billionaires took, then you can outperform all the billionaires except one of them. Jim Simons? And mass and massively. Uh, Seth Klarman. Seth Klarman was the okay. only one. And the the program you use, the money management program you use to do that, every there are several steps. You take every single step lowers risk. So okay. it, it, not only in part two, we did we did the why. And then in part three, we say, okay, let's show you all the examples. Mm. And um, that's, that's just one example. At the end of part two, we also have a section called paradox investing, which is a bit like contrarian yeah. um, investing. And there, we, uh, there are a couple of um, asset managers at uh, Robobank in, in, um, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And they, they actually created a website called Paradox Investing. Oh. And it's not really a paradox, but they, you know, you have to say paradox because people don't believe that low risk is, is yeah. the way to high return. Huh. And what they did is that they show, and you can download the data, and it's all done for you in the book on, in Chapter 8. What they show you is that if you look at the U.S. market for 80 years, so you go back into like the 1920s or 1930s or wherever, and you just look at the top 1,000 stocks and you rank them first on volatility. Then the first cut you take is you throw away 
the top 500 riskiest stocks. So you're left with the, the lowest risk stocks. Then you use momentum and then you use dividends. Hmm. And, you, and if you, if you uh, rebalance that on a quarterly basis for 80 years, they compare that with a risky portfolio, which, uh, which they do the, the opposite. You know, they take, they take the risky stocks and they, they, they use the other factors opposite too. And there's no competition. I mean, it's, it's too dramatically different. So, so this, you know, this is deeply, it, it's kind of the thing that no one sees, yeah. but it's there. Yeah. Listen to you describe it though. Doesn't it kind of assume that the past will be the same as the future? So if you talk about the most least volatile stocks, you know, from the thirties and forties, I mean, some of those are, if not almost all of them are no longer in business. Right. Or, or you take a stock like GE, which is one of the few that's been around for the entire Dow, I think. And it's recently been, you know, what, half or less? Like it was trading in the 20s as recently as a couple of years ago. And now it's around 12. So what do you make of, uh, how, does, how does that all factor in? How do you adjust for that? Well, you're, you're basically rebalancing every three months. Okay. So um, while GE fits the metric of, you know, low volatility, high dividend and momentum, uh, then it's going to be, potentially in in the basket of the few stocks that get selected. Okay. So it's simply a factor base. Got it's it. not sticking to a stock. Okay. It's, sim- it. it's, it. it's approaching the factor. Mm-hmm. And, and three months, it's got to, it's, you've got to earn your right every three months to be in that, in oh, that okay. conservative portfolio. So called conservative. Yeah. Okay, but I want to go back here to the mindset of these, these investors and what, what makes them and their approach different. And from what you're saying, it really is an evaluation of risk. So it sounds like they really are risk averse. If, Absolutely. if I understand you correctly. And if that, then in fact, that's their entire MO is that they, they stand to lose more than they, than they potentially could gain. Well, you know, the first two chapters of the book in, in part one um, that uses the, the best investors quotes, basically saying that the biggest problem investors have is nothing to do with their securities analysis or securities selection. It's about their own behavior. Uh-huh. Most people don't do well simply because how they behave with their portfolio, not necessarily even because of what they pick. And so what I do is, firstly, in chapter one, I say, okay, are you, are you thinking along the right lines about how you invest? Are you even looking at the right things? Are you realize your, some of the shortcomings in your own decision-making? Mm. Um, you know, for example, there are about 100 cognitive biases, most of which we're not aware of. But they play a part, whether we know it or not, in every decision we make. I mean, how consistent and rational are we mm. when we say, oh, I'm going to buy this stock today and, you know, sell that one? And are we, are we consistent and rational and doing the right thing every day? Um, mm. And do we know? Do, how do we measure? So mm. uh, the reality is that we need, need to look at ourselves and at least be aware mm. that there are some issues. Mm-hmm. The second chapter says, okay, now, now we're at least aware that maybe we're not perfect in our decision-making. Um, we can actually create a, an investment mind, mindset framework. 
So we can say these are the things you're going to have to do if you want to have a good um, decision-making process, even before we start talking about stocks and bonds and whatever. So we, we go through that and we, we, uh, we talk about some economics um, and that has a very big part to play sure. and which kind of economics you should use. And then we leverage Daniel Kahneman, uh, uh, his fantastic work on, on the brain and how, how, how we think and how the brain works. And then really you just come down to um, uh, out of that falls the investment mind, mindset frame, framework, mm. which really is, you know, keeping your emotions and, and, and feelings and, and biases and, and things out of it and uh, helping your strategic name and actually using systems to, to some degree as, as you can. And then, then you can at least see how you should be going about it. And then it's only then that we start talking about actual, you know, stocks and bonds and chapter sure. three. And really two is when we get into that. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about this, um, the, the optimization of the brain function and how that works. Right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we have to, we have to contain, I mean, the brain's kind of got two systems. It's got, it's got the, the, the fast thinking, uh, emotional, uh, I'm going to do it before I even understood why I did it, uh, kind of brain. Um, and, uh, you know, that's usually not the best thing to have for your, for your investing. Um, so, Mostly, we're trying to check that, um, keep keep that uh, quiet and calm, so it doesn't sort of override what you're doing. Now, the, then you've got the strategic chess playing kind of brain, um, and there, what we want to do is um, actually raise that, raise that more. The thing is, it uses a lot of energy. So normally we don't want to do that. We, you know, we don't want to, you know, write pages of math and actually think hard about what we're doing because it's exhausting. You know, um, so their software can make a huge difference because there's now so much great software that you can use, and it, you know, it just does as long as you understand what it's doing and um, it's intuitive to you. Um, then that really raises the best part of your thinking uh, while keeping, I mean, a simple example is just a, a, a trailing stop loss. Okay. You know, if you, if you, if you know, when you enter the trade, you have a stop loss, um, your fear part of your, your brain is quiet because say, well, look, I've already figured this out. The worst I could lose is, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever it is. Um, then, I'm, you know, that's not the end of the world. If I lose a hundred bucks, um, so the fear is, is, is quietened, and, and by, by calibrating that buy and that sell point and then raising the stock, you know, you can get very strategic about it, and you can put the odds on your side and your risk managing. So mm -hmm. just that simple thing puts you on the right track. Obviously, you can get a lot more complicated than that, um, but mm -hmm. that's a very simple idea of, of what can improve you as an investor. Mm, okay, interesting. 
Um, and you know, when it comes to these stop losses, though, you kind of do need liquidity. And and one of the first thing that dries up, as you know, is liquidity. And so when there is a big risk off event or, or things, you know, sometimes you don't get the price you think you're going to get on the stop um, on the way down. So is there ways that people can and should adjust for liquidity? Um, well, I guess the two, two, yeah, two ways is, is just stay in liquid stuff. You know, the S&P 500, sure. not that I ever, I never trade the S&P 500, but um, okay. it, you know, there are very liquid ETFs or, or stocks, um, but they, we didn't have that problem. The second one is you you buy options, sure. um, in which case you kind of you know your downside, and that gives you more latitude because then you don't have the stop. You you've already um, committed your capital. Right. Um, yeah. The worst case that you could lose. So those those are two two ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, then you do have to roll over the options contract, I guess, on regularly yeah. if you want to, if you want to keep the, the exposure or the hedge. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, let's take a short break. Um, Chris Bellchamber, invest like the best. If you are a premium subscriber, you will not get the break, so don't touch the dial. To become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech, T-E-C-H, and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. I need to tell you about Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can absolutely recommend them. Uh, their research is different. They do not cherry pick positive or negative charts, nor do they fall into the trap of confirmation bias. They have an intellectually consistent approach. They grew through a consistent set of relevant data, put them through the same consistent set of frameworks, and then summarize the whole thing in a checklist with a concise written summary. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer, which is a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website MerckResearch.com, sign up for one of the subscriptions, and enter the code CONTRARIAN at checkout to take advantage of this limited offer. That's MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. Right. Okay. Chris Bellchamber, this is the segment of the show where we like to ask our guest a little bit more about him or herself and how he or she came to this station in life. I alluded to it at the outset. You have a long career on Wall Street and this book is kind of the culmination. It's not your first book either, is it? No, second. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I yeah, so take us back and, and in the eighties even. So yeah, talk to us about, about your, your background and, and how things have uh, evolved to this point. Right. Well, I'm a, I'm a mathematician. Uh, that was my training. I got a master's and, um, and uh, I actually started out sort of uh, 
thinking I'd become an actuary or com computer programmer and and um, I got into I found investing and, and that just took over so I went up to London it was big bang and uh, it was a very exciting time in in London um, as all the international players came in and you know I had a heavy research bias I was a, really a writer uh, an analyst and eventually yeah I was recruited by credits his first Boston um, in London and um, all the analysts they recruited had to write a book <laughs> um, and uh, I, I was actually on a trading desk because um, they didn't know how to hedge things so I, I had to write my book on a trading desk at Credit Suisse plus Boston um, but anyway that was great that was fantastic and I think because of the book um, uh, I got 13 interviews with uh, JP Morgan who needed a head of um, sterling bond trading. And so I, I went over there after all those interviews and had some interesting uh, interactions with the Bank of England. Um, <laughs> and we ended one all. Um, first one that I tried to uh, change the, the rules for the government bond market and they they weren't very amused. They said we've been doing this for about about three hundred years. We think we've got the joke. Uh, <laughs> so that was a kind of a short conversation. But the, we gave the paper to Margaret Thatcher, and she liked it. And she gave them a call and said, "Do it." Wow. <laughs> so uh, wow. I I won that round, and then nice. the second round, um, I was told to um, basically finance the UK government because I was a primary dealer. And I was taking down all the auctions pretty much, um, and except one just suddenly disappeared in front of my nose and I never knew about it. Uh, they were actually doing private placements, which gave other primary dealers an advantage. So uh, I, I went for another conversation with the Bank of England and um, they couldn't understand my point of view, which was that price is a function of supply and demand. If you sell something and nobody knows you're selling it, and if I didn't know they were selling it and I was buying most of their paper, I'm pretty sure that the investment manager in Japan, Australia, China, South Africa, America didn't know either. Yeah. And so demand was lower. So the price they were getting for what they were selling was also lower, which was not what their job was supposed to be. But it didn't matter. That logic didn't matter. And, um, and so I decided, look, I'm not dealing with these guys. So now I became a private trader. And um, I had a lot of success um, on there, and I culminated in meeting John Merriweather. Oh wow! Uh, Long-term uh, long capital management came and sat on the private trading desk. Um, Victor Higami, who was head of the European part of long-term capital management, and we spent a day together. And um, he invited me back over there. And um, this guy came up from behind me and said, hi, my name is John Merriweather. So we sat down and, and we talked. And as I mentioned in the book, I say that it was you know, a fascinating conversation, but when we talked about risk, there was clearly a, lo a loss of energy in, in, in the dynamics between him and me. Um, and uh, I didn't actually know quite how much risk they, they were taking at that time, but uh, I go into detail on they were um, basically, the, their capital was $4 billion and they had assets of $125 billion. So they were, you know, they were massively, um, massively leveraged. Um, so um, 
uh, anyway, so uh, and at that stage, then I left, came to America, started my own practice, and and you know, twenty years later, here I am. But um, I'm, I'm glad to write this book. Um, there's so many conversations I keep on having which people don't get, and you know, I've been needing to write this um, because it just makes a statement about all these issues about how financial advisors are always allocating to risk. And I don't think you ever should allocate to risk. Now, you, you, you do it indirectly, you allocate to alpha. And you, you should, if you allocate a lot to alpha, you are taking more risk. Um, but that's very different from allocating to risk, right. which I think is, is a gamble move. Sure. Not uh, a best uh, perspective return move. Hmm. Uh, it's as simple as that. I, you know, I go into that. Interesting. So, I, and the, your with your maths background, I'm curious. Uh, you know, how much you studied Jim Simons, who is also a mathematician, obviously. And there was a book that came out mm -hmm. last year or the year before. Um, Greg Zuckerman, if I'm not mistaken, from the journal wrote this about about Simons, which was interesting. I read most of it. Did you read that? And do you have to, how much did you know and were you able to find out about Jim Simons and his approach? Um, yeah, I, mean, I used that as a source in my book. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I, I can't say I read it the cover to cover, but I, yeah, it was, it was just fascinating. And, yeah. and I, you know, I had, I picked up a lot over the years, you know, um, about him and, you know, his, his record is very, very similar to Druckenmiller. It's, uh -huh. it, it's amazing how, if you look at their annual returns, he had uh, one down year, but I think it was a tiny loss of uh, like lost two or 5% one year um, out of the 30. Um, so these guys were just compounding at 30 even more. That's astonishing with no loss. And, and I think it's because they, they knew how to, to grind the alpha and then know when to take the big shot and use the capital that they've, they've made from grinding mm. So that you know, even if, if they, they lost, they would only be using part of the capital they've already been made. So mm. it's just brilliant um, risk management hmm. uh, on top of brilliant alpha generators. Sure. Are there any other favorite investors that you've come across that you think do a really good job of what you've, what you've gone through in the book? Seth Klarman, I, mm -hmm. I quote him quite a lot. Um, what's interesting is that long-term capital management approached him in mm. uh, 1990. 97 or 98 or whenever it was and he's quoted about wow. saying you know i look at this and you know the potential for a huge loss of capital is is significant yeah. um and i use his quote at the end of the book saying that the best way he says um to uh reliably make money over the long term is by taking low risk huh um so he's another you know another guy who's absolutely obsessive about you know, how you uh, analyzing the risk uh, and, and ex executing on the risk. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, there are others. I mean, Ray Dalio was in, influential in, in my development. I think that um, Hedgeye have probably um, taken his ideas further. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, that, that what they, they do is, is exceptionally good. Um, uh, so yeah, there there are always people, and you have to have to look out. There's always some smart guy somewhere is, is coming up, and you can learn learn a lot from them. Mm, yeah, no question, no question. But, you know, the basis 
but the but the basics have to be there you know the the best investor metrics are actually really simple and you know one of the things i really hope that people get is that people start looking at their own investments using those metrics in chapter seven i say i show you just get a performance career risk and return the benchmarks put your portfolio on that grid and you'll know in seconds to what extent you're, you're, you're gambling, to what extent you're in line with the best investors and what they mm-hmm. do. And I wish that people did that. I mean, most people just look at return. Mm. And as we show in the, the book, people who only look at return don't do that well mm. um, in the long run. I mean, you can do, you can do really well in the short term, um, but uh, what really matters is, you know, uh, making money over reliably and consistently over decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what most people should be trying to do. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. So, yeah, as far as readers managing the risks in, in their own portfolios, what are some of the things that, that be, you think people should look for? Um, some of the red flags that might be? Well, I think the first thing you have to notice is the risk and the drawdown. Mm-hmm. I, mean, two, I use like the standard deviation of returns um, and also the drawdown. I mean, just those two things um, show you immediately, you know, to what extent they're just risk-based. Um then you need to, what you really need to do is get a sense of their process and whether they're managing return and risk uh, in a very smart way. Um, I think the performance grid will tell you that very quickly. Um, but if, if you haven't got that, that's what you need to, to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that you're on a very different path uh, once that happens. I mean, mm-hmm. You, your, your risk is low, so you make better decisions. Your, your risk is low, so you have a smoother profile. You can plan your life better. And it just so happens, I mean, this is the best of all possible worlds. By taking less risk, you make more money. Who doesn't want that? Mm. And the, the, the thing is, you're not really being guided by many experts in that direction, because most people are going to say, take a lot of risk. And, and I, I don't think that's the right way to go. And more importantly, the best investors don't think so. Interesting. Yeah, Ray Dalio talks about needing to have multiple streams of uncorrelated returns. Right. And he, he, he talks about it like it's like, oh, no big deal. It seems to me that it's quite difficult to do. Um, especially with these markets nowadays, everything seems to move in lockstep or at least risk on, risk off. Um, what have you seen about that? Right. And, and you know, even using your own methods, like how difficult is it to achieve that? Uh, it's actually quite easy, actually. I mean, I, I get into it and in, in, it's more easy than you would think, at least mm. I'd say that. Um, I, I think I get into that in part three, show multiple ways. I mean, it, it starts with um, money management. Um, position sizing, right? Um, you know, having a stop loss. I mean, those just just those things. You take that. I mean, there's a, there's a soft there are software packages that do all that for you, not just for a security, but for a portfolio. 
Um, and then when, once you're getting into co portfolio, you use covariance. Um, you know, if you, if you, I mean, most people you, you would say that, you know, uh, if you had, um, let's say, you know, Verizon as a stock, um, and then you, uh, that was one portfolio and your other portfolio was Verizon and gold miners. Uh, you'd say, well, the one with gold miners, that's, that's the riskier portfolio. No, it isn't hmm. <laughs> because they're non-correlated. And if, as long as you position size yeah. the amount of gold miners appropriately, that portfolio is lower risk than just Verizon. Right. So, um, covariance is, is a is a big tool, and uh, there's a video I, I refer to in the book with Ray Dalio saying that's yeah. the um, the holy grail of investing yeah. is, is having low covariance, uh -huh. and his Alpha Fund is is based on that yeah. that concept. And, and then you know I, I would say that uh, the next huge piece is cycles, um, right. and uh, it, it is remarkable. Uh, how much everything is correlated with cycles. And um, I think that the other, the last big piece I would say is volatility. Mm -hmm. the understanding all the, the volatility curve of everything. Um, because that, um, it tells you so much about how people are positioned, uh, what people fear. Um, and uh, actually, which assets are the best to buy? Um, mm. And, you know, again, you, you, in, in behavioral economics, what you'll find is that asset prices, when they go down, have higher volatility. So that here you see in behavioral economics, the reinforcement of the idea that you don't want risk. Mm -hmm. Because on average, not in every case, but usually, when prices are in a down move or bear markets have higher volatility. Mm -hmm. So this idea that you want to have more risk, you get a higher return. No, that's not the way that the behavior economics tells, shows you um, by observation how markets work. So the, there's so many clues, um, you know, about this risk return relationship that people are not aware of. And mm -hmm. it, it's a transformation when you, when you find out how things really are. Interesting. Do you have any views on the current state of the uh, cycle perhaps and where we are? Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, we're, we're just coming out of the perfect investing world, mm -hmm. which is like a global quad two, which is, uh, I don't to put that, it, it basically means that growth is accelerating and inflation is accelerating. And in, in that environment, the more, more things go up than any other environment. And um, so that's, that's been amazing. Um, uh, but it's been heavily sponsored by central banks. Oh, yeah. Now, the, the problem with that is that kind of ends halfway through this year. And then you, you have a different dynamic. And actually, you're, you're beginning to see some things go wrong. I mean, mm. you've, you've seen um, China, um, the NASDAQ has not stopped performing well, and, and most importantly, probably as the bond market has, has gone down. So, so those, are, those are problems. Um, 
But because they've done so much, they're creating a, a, a massive sugar shock um, that we're experiencing right now. And um, already it looks like the cycles are going to become a little bit more challenging as we go into the second half of the year. Hmm. Um, things still look okay, um, but maybe not quite as good as they were. Um, but they may be okay for a few more months. But I think hmm. uh, the next stage is to, to be a little bit more concerned about the second half. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, so you don't buy into this whole uh, reopening trade and the fact that things are going to take off once people start traveling again and doing all those well, things. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, but I think a lot of these, a lot of that has already happened yeah. uh -huh. uh, to, to a great extent. And, you know, there's a, an, a, a, an amazingly impressive correlation between all the different assets and the cycle according to growth and inflation. Right. And in the third quarter, you're going to see growth will be declining in the US and inflation will have peaked in the US. So you, you go from a quad two environment into the third quarter, and actually it looks like the fourth quarter too, where you're in quad four, growth and inflation will be declining. Now, it's still going to be a high number, but if, if you're a cycle investor, it's the rate of change that matters. So, so you're, you're, you're now, you're, you've been in a rocket ship and the rocket ship is just tailing off a little bit but it's, you know, still going. Um, but, you know, obviously we look at the data every day and you, you do a new forecast every day. Um, but uh, that's, the, that's the shape of how it looks right now. So, you know, it still looks okay, but um, you have to start being a little cautious as you get into the, towards the third quarter. Very interesting. All right, Chris Bellchamber, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast. Maybe in closing, if you can tell people how they can find out more about you I don't know if you have a website, your book, obviously it's, it is on Amazon, right? Um, so yeah. yes. Yeah. My website is probably the best place. It's chrisbelgamer.com. Very, very simple. And um, on the front page, I've got a link to the, the Amazon page on, uh, on the book. Um, and um, I'm most active on LinkedIn uh, okay. in terms of posting and what have you. Cool. All right. Do you have a Twitter also or not? Um, yes, but I'm really an observer, not a participant. Yeah, okay. I, you know, All right. I, well, I that's follow, probably for the best. I follow people. Yeah, yes. I say that as an <laughs> observer and a participator. There's a lot of noise on there. Sometimes there's some right. good stuff, but uh, anyway. All right, cool. Yes, Chris Bellchamber. I'll put the website and everything else in the show notes. Invest like the best. Thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time.